Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is Nixon Mugambate. That is me, man. That's me, bro. Am I saying the name right? <laughs> you said it correctly, bro. I'm happy that you did. It's a pretty epic name. <laughs> it will be. I love it. <laughs> it will be for sure. I have goals trying to make my name great. I, I was bullied when I was uh, in grade five, simply because of my last name. So, you know, it has to be great. So, how do we know each other? How do we know each other? That's a great question. I have to try and remember. How did we meet? You might have a better memory than I have. I feel like it's probably through the one reality calls. And from that, we just started talking and you ended up forming our group. But I yeah. don't know how we initially met. That's a great question. I, I know it's from the calls, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think the calls would have been, and just to give people an idea, every Thursday night, we gather together for this weekly call where we have sort of a Bible study and we right. talk about various things that are going on in our lives related to our faith. And when we started, it was only like, what, five, seven people. And you and I were one of those people, right? Yes. And this was like about a year ago. So is that how we met? I think you could say that is when we first encountered each other. Right, right, right. Because I don't remember the exact encounter itself. I think what I remember as our first encounter was our mutual friend, Mark Wong. He had set up an accountability group that you and I were a part of. And just as a way to get to know each other, I called you up and we talked for about an hour as to right. uh, what your background was like, what you were interested in doing, how exactly you got involved in sex addiction in the first place. And you also learned those things about me. And I think that's probably the moment you could say that is when we both met. Yeah, I have some memories of when I had just moved into the apartment that I live in now when there was no furniture at all. And I had just gone there for like a week. And I remember having a conversation with you while I'm walking around. <laughs> so yeah, it was around that time for sure. That's when we started really talking. And we even had a few conversations where we spoke for like an hour or so. Yeah, we still haven't met in person yet. Something I deeply regret from my visit to Toronto was that I couldn't meet you in Paris in person. It was a tough time when you came, you know, it was just Paris was about to give birth and COVID and this and that. It was just, it was just a tough time when you came. Yeah. But next time. Absolutely, bro. What would you say was your first impression of me as we were getting to know each other? Hmm. Great question. So I don't remember the exact first impression, but what I can remember from the early days is I was trying to understand you. I could tell that there is something different about you. I wasn't too sure what it was until, of course, I learned and you told me. And from that point on, um, I've always been interested in speaking with you simply because, I don't know, I love to understand different perspectives of people and how other people see the world. So for you having autism, I didn't know that for a while. And when I found out, it made me even more want to get closer to you, I guess. Let's, let's just say that. But yeah, at first, there were certain things, like even on the calls that you would say that throw me off. I'm like, wait, did he just say that? Or did he just ask that question? Like that, like I don't care, or maybe you don't necessarily, because now understanding you a little better, sometimes there's certain things that you would say 
but to you you don't really see them as like a negative thing or I hope you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> are any specific incidents that come to mind um there's a few from calls I know I'm trying to remember instances but pretty much okay if I can't remember instances I'll just say that there's times when you know maybe there's a situation where someone is sad or whatever and then you would say something and to some people it may look as like that's insensitive why would you ask that question while the person is going through this but I mean you can even think of instances where um I think someone said something all to you one time on a call um like oh you can't say that or something like that so anyways let's move forward <laughs> so for myself I think the first impression that I had of you I remember as I was doing the one reality calls over Zoom, the vast majority of the time I could see other people's faces. Uh-huh. Everyone had kept their cameras turned off. And it's something that still happens. It's something that still annoys me to this very day. You see, it's that way for you of thinking that it's so like common sense, right? Which I love. But for other people, like for myself, sometimes I may allow my emotions to play in why I am not showing myself worse to you who's someone who's always on camera which is great you're you're like I don't care like you know just this is how I am so I think it's just for me which is something I need to break out of but sometimes that caring about being seen or looking a certain way like maybe I don't look the best so I'm choosing not to go on camera type of thing yeah but anyways in the early days almost no one else was on camera I don't think I saw you or Paris on camera that often. And so it was a little difficult to form an immediate attachment to your image, to your personality. But then I remember hearing that you had gotten your girlfriend Paris pregnant. And in my head, I thought to myself, well, this guy's an idiot. And later on, when the accountability group was starting out with Mark being the initial leader, And we were just talking about the struggles that we had trying to break free from porn addiction. I was talking about how I had only gone two weeks since the last time I'd looked at porn. And I just felt so ashamed because I had done better in the past. I'd gone up to like 40 days in the past. And you had mentioned that you wouldn't last a week without looking at porn. And I remember just looking at that and thinking to myself, okay, I know I can do better. I have a standard for which I can overcome. And so my initial impressions of you were not positive in any sense, but I think as I've gotten to know you better and understand why exactly you would have done stuff like getting your girlfriend pregnant while also Mm -hmm. looking at porn, I think that not only has it helped me to understand you better, but it's also giving me a baseline to see how far you've grown in the last couple of months. Absolutely. Because like right now, you're a loving father. You still haven't broken free from porn, but like you're able to go past a week, which is amazing. And I think that I'm seeing improvement and that's a good thing to see in a friend of yours. That's a real talk, man. And just to throw that out there, I didn't get my girlfriend pregnant on purpose here. You know, I wasn't saying let's have one, but I didn't take the pre measures to not allow that to happen. So yes, in a way you can think that it was on purpose, but you know, 
<laughs> just throwing that out there. I didn't think it was on purpose. I just thought you careless. You were careless. <laughs> yes. Yeah, in a way, right? It is careless. Yeah, I would not trade my little girl for anything. I'm the happiest man for this. But speaking of forward motion and improvement and how these things work together in our lives, how has God been working in your life recently? Oh, great question. How has God been working in my life recently? Honestly, in so many new ways. This is an analogy I came up with the other day, but I feel like it works very well. I feel like Jesus, when God essentially led him in the wilderness to be tempted, he went 40 days, you know, without eating. The only difference is I was eating and I didn't go any 40 days. But in terms of what led to it, which was the devil tempting Jesus three times, I feel like maybe I am coming out of this season. I feel like I was really tempted recently when it comes to finances. I've had opportunities to recently to get money in different ways, but essentially there's corruption in a way where I would have to lie to receive money essentially off a loan. And I realized that this is not what God has for me and this is not which direction he's leading me. So for me, that was a big temptation because, you know, I have goals, I have things that I, I want to accomplish. I mean, now having a family and things like that. But for me to be able to say no, that was very hard for me to do, but also it was needed for me to do for me to go into whatever God is about to unlock for me, because it's hard to say no to $60,000 and also a hundred thousand, about $160,000 worth of loan when you know that you can flip that into essentially 500,000 in a couple of years based on the knowledge that I have. But overall, it's like, you know what? No, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to choose what God has for me because I believe it's better. I don't want to build my wealth on a rocky foundation. So that's something huge that God has been doing in my life, working on me to really just trust and believe that he's going to provide for me at all times and not alone, not the government, not whoever, you know what I mean? So that's one of the biggest things amongst that's been happening in my life recently. So now I, I went through my wilderness season and I am about to be like Jesus in uh, Matthew 4 verse 11 when he was fed by the angels. So I'm waiting for God to just pour down heaven on me because of this wilderness season I just came out of. Do you think that you needed the $160,000? Like, were you on the verge of going bankrupt? No, definitely not. It was more so what I can do with it. It was how I can grow that money in different ways. You know, right now we're probably in the biggest wealth transfer ever, bigger than the internet, bigger than 2008 with cryptocurrency and just technology in general. And you just chose to say no in the hopes that yeah. there'd be something better coming along. Yeah, simply because for me to have lied on the application, that's not God, right? God will not tell you go lie on the application and it's him. And ultimately, I wanted him to bless that. I wanted to get it and then he would bless that. But he kept telling me, no, no, no. And I knew even if I was to get that money in my mind, I don't know if I'll ever have peace with that money. I don't know if I ever had enjoyed it simply because of the way I was thinking. I think I've said this before in another conversation with you, but you don't want to be the guy who everyone criticizes on Twitter for obtaining right. their fortune through right. being a ruthless prick. Right. Even if they accuse you of that, at the very least, you can look at yourself and say, yes, I got this through completely legitimate means. I can live my life in good conscience. 
Absolutely. And I, also like one big thing, although I have a desire to, you know, have a lot of wealth, I'm learning that it's not really about money at the end of the day. It's just about really chasing after God and just finding happiness in him, finding joy in him. And like, you know, the question you asked, what was it? Am I I'm bankrupt? No, I'm not. Like I'm looking at my life. I'm like, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm blessed. So having more money, they say more money, more problems. So chances are if I get all this money, I'm going to have more problems that I was not ready mentally to deal with because I put myself in a position I was not supposed to be. Yeah. I think for myself recently, the way that God has been working in my life, it's been a rather difficult week for me. I've been spending a lot of time staying up late until like two in the morning and then waking up late. And over the past 48 hours in particular, I woke up early in the morning, went to church, got back home, felt a desire, a very strong desire to just lay down on my bed and pass out. Right. took a four-hour nap, woke up, and found myself unable to go back to sleep until around seven or eight in the morning today. And so right now, my sleep schedule is completely screwed. And given how I need to wake up early tomorrow to have breakfast with a good friend of mine, I'm hoping that God puts me in a deep sleep tonight, because if that doesn't happen, then I'm screwed. And I think that the reason why I was staying up so late is because I felt burdened by the things that I needed to do. I needed to do a good job for the two jobs that I'm currently working at. I needed to keep up on the news. I had to... What do you mean keep up on the news? I'm just someone who doesn't like being locked out of the loop. I prefer to know what's going on in the world. And so I like reading up on the news a lot. I had other commitments, other evening commitments, the one reality call that happens every Thursday night, our accountability call that's now happening every Wednesday night, various other promises that I need to fulfill. And it's it's like, eventually it gets to a point where, first of all, you're just operating out of autopilot. You're not making the best use of your time. And you're just wasting your time on frivolous activities because those frivolous activities are just giving you a slight dopamine boost, like me looking through the internet on my phone. Do you write things down? Do you have a to-do list? No. That's exactly what you're missing, and I can hear it. And I'm even speaking to myself here because this is something I used to do really well at, which is writing things down, tracking your to-do list. But... I have stopped and whatnot, and I feel like my life is a little chaotic. And I kind of hear it as you speak, it's the same thing for you. I feel like you just need a to-do list. You need a little calendar that you can start your day or even preferably at nighttime before you go to sleep. It's like, okay, tomorrow, this is what I need to do. I need to do this for the group chat. I need to do that. If you want, you can even put time, but you don't have to put a time. But it's easier said than done, right? Like we can talk about these things, but are you going to do it? And same thing with me. Am I going to do it? One thing I've been realizing about myself, which I've been changing, thank the Lord, is that we know all these information, but we don't put it into practice, right? Like if I'm talking to you about this right now, and then you don't go and change anything about it, then it's pretty much saying that you're not coachable or you're not teachable. And this is something I learned recently from mentors is that, you know, we know information, but there's a quote to know and not do is to not know at all. 
So if you don't do anything that you know, you don't know it. You can't say, oh, I know that. I know that you can't because you, you're not doing it. So this is a suggestion from me to you simply and also a suggestion I should be taking myself right now, which my wife and I were actually talking about last night, saying that I need to get back into doing that. And I actually did write it down for myself last night. So I'm proud of that. And I pray that I continue. But it's so important to have a calendar, bro. I remember I did it consistently for like five months and it was such an amazing thing. And I just fell off. But I think for you, that might help. And if you don't mind me saying also this, as you were talking, I just felt for you to focus on this. Who are you becoming? Not what are you doing, right? Like I think too many times we're focused on doing, doing, doing. This is something that, you know, if I can add on to your first question, what is God has been doing? He's been teaching me, focus on who are you becoming every day, right? That's why also I let go of this desire to run after money because I'm like, I'm going to reach that, but who am I becoming? That's more important rather than, you know, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do that. Sometimes you're not going to reach everything you, you have written down on your list and you have to be okay with that. But did you become someone that day? Did you become someone who is better for me? Did I become someone who is a little more patient? That's something that I'm working on right now. Um, consistently showing my wife some love and my kids some love, you know, things like that. Like after work, although I'm tired, I need to recognize that I wasn't home. My family wasn't with me. So now I got to give them attention and whatnot, although I'm tired, right? So who are you becoming? So for you, review that question. I think for myself, the reason why I've been so hesitant to do a to-do list is because at this point in my life, my life feels completely unpredictable. There are certain things that I know will happen because they've been scheduled. Like for example, will always have one reality on Thursday nights and I'll always be there. But as I've mentioned before, I'm working two jobs. Both of them have a lot of leeway in how much time I can put into working at them. But at the same time, like up until recently, one of my jobs required me to put in at least 20 hours a week. And it was a bit of a struggle to figure out, okay. Are you the one who chooses when to do those? Yes. When to do those 20 hours? When to do those 20 hours. So it's all about planning here. And that's what I'm seeing is have your calendar, right? And write down all the stuff that you know is happening. So one reality call, this is called. So then now you know, okay, this day I can allocate five hours to my job. That day I can allocate five hours. And then now you're just kind of planning it out, right? And that's exactly what I did yesterday. I literally said Mondays, I'm going to work 10 hours. Tuesdays, I'm not going to work. Wednesday, 10 hours, da, 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 da. And I, I literally have it uh, written down properly. And for you, do the same thing, right? Like do for your job and whatnot, but also going back to who are you becoming, have those things that you want to do daily, like your newspaper, right? Put that on your to-do list. I do this in the morning or wherever. I mean, you can do it at any time, but if you have that kind of like better plan, and, and it doesn't have to go exactly the way that you plan. That's another thing that I've been giving myself grace over is sometimes things are just not going to go the way they're planned, right? So it's okay for you to tweak things, but at least just start going in that road. And then like for me, even journaling is something that I've been doing a little, but you know what? I only journal for five minutes. That's it. I'm not journaling for more. I can journal for more, but I'm only doing it just to start building up that little habit of writing down. Because I know you are a writer and you know that's something that you got down, but not me. I got to build it up slowly so even so if writing is the same thing for you in terms of tracking build it up slowly just write down your to-do list and if you don't do everything on there it's all good right like it's all good well I think I have a to-do list in my head 
That's a problem. It's in the head. <laughs> but my first instinct is not, okay, I have to do this. I have to wake up and do right. writing at six in the morning for three hours a day. And then if it's a weekday, then I need to go out to work. If it's Sunday, then I need to go off to church. My, but don't you think that will organize you a little more though, if you were to do that? I think that the more important thing to focus on is what's the first instinct? What is the first thing that I do when I wake up? What was my first right. thought? And my first thought whenever I wake up is, man, I'm tired. I just <laughs> want to stay in bed for as long as I'm allowed to. And if I need to get to work at 8 a.m., then I'm getting up at 6.30. If I need to get okay. to work at 12 p.m., then I'm getting up at 10 a.m. And it's inconsistent. It right. is not productive. But at the same time, it's easy. And right. it services laziness. That's exactly it. The second thing I'm most likely to do is to just take out my phone and to surf the internet first thing in the morning because it wakes me up telling me you didn't put god first if i'm totally honest the answer is no 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 no. be honest please because i'm like that too I, I i'm not telling you that i wake up every single day and i read my bible right away no i don't i'll be honest with you but i'm just saying it, it's those things we need to recognize though right that we need to be doing but even for you right now you sound like you know what you're doing but you also i can hear the conviction in your voice that i know i'm not supposed to be doing this that i should have a better morning routine yeah the question is what's stopping us right we're our own enemies <laughs> we are our own enemies isn't that crazy not really no i mean like it's better than us saying well the world is against us the world right, is right, responsible right. for me not waking up at a proper time because the world created the internet and the world right. created these distractions and right, the world right, hates right. you because you're black it's better than us putting it out on other people. But obviously we can't change without knowing these things. So we know them. So are we going to change? Right? This is a, going back to what I said about what I learned recently with my mentor. So essentially teachability index has two things. One, what is your willingness to learn? So what is your willingness to, to go and get information? So for you, you know, you said you love to learn about the world and things like that. So you like to learn. Obviously there's different things you can also learn about. But also the second one, which is probably the most important, is what is your willingness to change? What is your willingness to sacrifice this, 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 and that? So if you want to be able to say, I'm super teachable, you have to also say, I'm able to change. I'm able to put the information that I know to practice. Otherwise, you're not allowed to say, I'm someone who's teachable. You know, and that's something that hit me. I was like, crap, I got to like be a man of my word. I got to do things that I know. But you know what, though, that conviction has actually been working because slowly I feel it. I see it that I'm doing the things that I know. Right. So I just pray that I continue to move into that. And I pray the same thing for you, bro. Like this is the thing. We know so many things, but now we got to start putting into practice. Right? even the thing that I suggested recently, it was because I was trying to find new ways to stop doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing, which is watching pornography. So I'm like, yo, I, got, I have a group. Why don't we start putting some money on this? And I'm sure maybe that might work for me, right? But not just for me, maybe others too, because I don't want to lose money. And that's something we'll probably talk about after we're done recording. But if we might transition to the main topic at hand, how did this journey begin for you? I know that you were born in Zimbabwe. You grew up in Zimbabwe. What was it like living there, especially during a time when Zimbabwe was world-famous for its hyperinflation. 
I mean, you know what? I came here when I was 10 years old. I lived there for 10 years. As a kid, you don't really understand all the hyperinflation stuff. I did remember the government, I forget what exactly it was called, but it was like a nationwide thing where the government is like knocking down like small businesses with bulldozers and things like that. I don't know if my grandpa's shop succeeded that, but also one of his, so there was two houses where we lived, my grandpa's house, but he also had like, we call it like a cottage here going to a cottage is that you have to go to a cottage in Zimbabwe it was a cottage was like the house that you don't stay in so like you're still anyway my grandpa had tenants in there so you know they pay rent and stuff like that and in this big nationwide thing I don't even know why it happened but the government was knocking down everything they knocked down my grandpa's cottage which I didn't till this day I don't understand why but yeah it it, it, it was a weird time to live in Zimbabwe, but it's also made me who I am. Like, don't get me wrong. I loved everything. But as a kid, I didn't really understand all the terrible things that I know now that are happening and were happening. Yeah. I think for myself, I lived through something very similar, not mm-hmm. like as extreme as Zimbabwe. But when I was living in Ireland with my family, it just so happened to coincide with the time of the Great Recession. And the reason why the Great Recession happened in Ireland was because everyone was engaging in land speculation. They were buying up real estate so that the house prices could appreciate and they could sell those houses for a profit. The thing is, though, Ireland only has a population of about 4.6 million people. Uh I think it's grown a little bit since then, but at the time it had 4.6 million people. And so the market was very, very limited on what kind of houses you could buy and who you could sell them to. I think I remember hearing someone saying that it was like Ireland was trying to buy Ireland from each other. And because the banks were approving all of these mortgages that were being handed out, when people couldn't pay back their mortgages, this resulted in the banks going under. The government tried to guarantee those loans, which in turn brought them into the black hole that was now Ireland's real estate business. And it's put the country in a huge amount of debt that it still hasn't recovered from. And the thing is, even though I lived through that, I didn't really understand what was happening myself because like you, I was just a kid. I still had a relatively comfortable life, even though my family You know, we weren't really able to pay for expensive merchandise. We've been fairly lower middle class our entire lives. And so it's not like we were missing out entirely on what the world was offering us. But it was interesting to go back to that period of time as an adult and read the history books in order to see, oh, this is what happened that caused this disaster to happen. This is what happened to cause all this chaos in the first place. And I'm wondering, have you ever had that kind of perspective, that desire to say, hey, I want to go back and I want to check and see why exactly Zimbabwe became as bad as it did? I don't know if that's exactly my question, but as you ask, it makes me feel like that's a question that I definitely would ask or should ask. And to be honest, I can even ask now and do my own research. 
I never really thought about that, but I probably will now do my own research. But I have thought many times to, you know, obviously eventually go back and partner up with some friends. Like there's a friend of mine right now who I went to school with, and he's doing fairly well for himself, having started a pretty cool business with agriculture, because that's something that's really big down there. Um, And yeah, he's having lots of success. So I've always had visions of me, you know, going back home and potentially doing something with him or even someone else where we do things to essentially build the country back up. And whether that's doing it from just uh, a few people, a few tens of people, or even we are partnering up with the government or something. I mean, the government is corrupt, so I don't know if we're partnering up with them, but you know, do something essentially that will help rebuild or, you know, move the country forward. I do have a desire to do those things. So when you moved from Zimbabwe, you came here to Canada, correct? Yes. How did your perspective on finances start to develop as you were living in Canada? What made you want to pursue the idea of, I want to make all this money so that I can in part, go back to my home country and help the people who live there? I think the fact that, one, when I moved to Canada, I don't really remember if I thought anything of my living situation, which wasn't bad at all, by the way. It was just that when I moved here, my mom was living in a basement of a house where another person lived upstairs with their family. And I don't remember thinking anything of it, to be honest. But just looking back, I think that also coming from Zimbabwe and seeing what was there and then versus here, it started creating that desire in me to say, you know what, I want to make some money. So one, I can be able to help my family that's back home, right? Like, essentially, I'm the one who made it out, quote unquote. So I would love to do the same for my cousins who, you know, I grew up with, potentially maybe even fly out my grandparents, you know, I hope, you know, they're here to experience something like that. To a point where I have enough money to fly them out to experience Canada or even another place in the world. So yeah, it's those things that just kind of started in me to create this desire. And to be honest, it's what made me want to be a doctor. I remember, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a doctor, partially because one, I want to really help people. But as a kid, as like a teenager, my mindset was that to really help people in the world, you have to be a doctor, it's medicine. But it wasn't until university and so forth that I started really learning that I don't have to go to medicine. But I also discovered that I don't really have a passion to study for medicine like that. I love to study it on my own time, but to study it, to, you know, go get a degree for it. Four years of university was enough for me. So I didn't want to pursue any more after that. But yeah, all those things, bro, are really what made me want to have a desire for money and go back and impact the world, starting with my own country. What were your initial strategies for making money? Initial strategies was I worked and it was so funny yesterday, I was talking to my wife and just really laughing at the mindset that I've had with money. And I feel like majority of us have, which I can touch on in a second. But my first time really was when I was working I worked at a few golf courses, which was amazing. I've learned so much. And also, that's another, right? You can, you can see the parallel in God and the alignment. Me working at golf courses, I'm getting to see wealthy people on a daily basis. I've served billionaires, multiple of them in Canada. 
and shaked hands with. I even had a couple mentors who I'd sit for lunch with who are millionaires and things like that. So, you know, you can kind of see the lining of that. I don't even remember why I even went to a golf course, but, you know, somehow the Lord brought me over there. And then when I was in university, I started one messing with money in terms of getting OSAP and, you know, being reckless with it, which was stupid. But I started trading Forex, the foreign exchange market, essentially investing uh, day trader. And, you know, I fell in love with that. I fell in love with understanding how chart patterns work, how to invest pretty much. However, it was never consistent for me simply because my mindset was I'm trying to get rich now. And if you're going to investing saying I'm trying to get rich now, you will get wrecked, especially when it comes to trading. You will get wrecked. And that was me. I got wrecked multiple times. But because I was so in love with learning the skill of making money from my cell phone, I was like, I'm going to write this out. And I thank God that I did because now I'm at a point where I can use my knowledge to invest in crypto, right? It's the same thing. It moves the same, even stocks. This knowledge is now helping me really just invest because I want to be an investor. That's who I see myself as, is I'm an investor. I invested money, but I also invest in people. <laughs> it's something that the Lord told me. But yeah, that's to answer your question. So I take it that you didn't heed Benjamin Graham's advice of when you buy a stock, you don't sell it for five years. So that's the mindset that I have now. I didn't have that mindset before. I, I wasn't even doing stocks, to be honest. Uh, it was Forex, which is a little different. So you're trading currencies. But that's the mindset that I have now where it's like buy something and hold it. Because over time, regardless whatever it is, it is most likely going to go up over time. There are things out there, don't get me wrong, you know, that crash and don't make it and go down. But if you're investing in some really good companies, if it's stocks, for example, right now, if it's crypto assets, Bitcoin is something that's a store of value like gold that's going to just increase over time. So I can buy Bitcoin today and five years from now, it will be worth more, right? So I am heeding to that advice now. But that's the path that I went through to get here. Was there any major moment that made you realize, oh, shoot, I need to change my mindset from pursuing short-term gains to pursuing long-term holds? Many times, many, many times. I remember specifically there was this one time I was trading and my wife was about to go to work. She wasn't even my girlfriend at the time, but she was about to go to work. Right, making I think I don't know how much she made at her job, maybe twenty dollars an hour. And I was trading before she went to work, and I made five hundred dollars. And I showed her, and I remember her saying, "I don't want to go to work." Right, simply I did that in a matter of minutes on my phone. However, that day I was such on a high because that was the most money I ever made, like you know, in a short span of time, that I got greedy and like, let me do it again. And I lost it all just as fast as I gained it. And that was one of the lessons I can remember. But I have more lessons just like that, that really taught me, like, you need to, one, learn the skill properly. But it wasn't until I took a break for a good six months that my mind started to realize it's better to hold than day trade. Because as a day trader, you're trying to time the market, you're trying to determine what's going to happen in the next few hours and it's not the smartest thing to do to be honest with you it's kind of like gambling 
And it's pretty much like gambling, but there's executed thing. You know, you can use knowledge behind it. You can use skill as well, but it's just a little harder. Don't get me wrong. I know people out here. I know a guy specifically who makes a million dollars every month trading. So I know people who do some serious numbers with trading, people our age, people younger than me who are making $10,000 a day or a month or whatever the case is through trading. However, those people have put in their time. They have really put in their time. But if you're someone who is not willing to, you know, really put in 10,000 hours to learn a skill, it's better to hold over time. Right now, you've mentioned that you've had experience doing currency trading, stock right. trading. And not much stock, not much stock, to be honest. Not much stock. Okay. I've just bought some and held it, but not really traded. But you've been involved in currency exchange. You've been right. involved in stocks. You've been involved in cryptocurrency. Out of those three aspects of finance, what do you see as having the most future? Crypto, definitely, just because of the amount of, well, the most future, I'm trying to really think of it. Okay, yeah, I'll put crypto number one, just because of the use case, what they're trying to do, especially within the bank system, right? Like with DeFi, de decentralized finance, for us to be able to have our freedom when it comes to our money, being able to send money to other people, having freedom in that way. So decentralized finance is something that's huge that is going to, you know, really take over and change the banking system in the next few years. And also NFTs are a big thing. I don't really know too, too much about NFTs, but I've read up on it a little bit just to understand how the world is turning digital. I mean, it already is digital, but how we're going to just continue really getting more into the digitalization. That's kind of where crypto is coming in. And then if I was to like, you know, put those in numbers, I mean, stocks are always great. Stocks are always going to be there. Companies are always going to be here. They're going to go up. But in terms of rate of return, it's hard. It's hard to say because Forex, currency exchange, you can also do really well. Currency exchange is always going to be here. It's not going anywhere. People are going to need to go to somewhere else and exchange money. Companies are always going to be doing businesses in other companies, in other countries. So that's never going to go anywhere. So it's hard to like really number off those three, but... I, crypto, in my opinion, is the best to do holding in better than stocks. It's better to hold your money in crypto than stocks, in my opinion, for better return. Yeah, I think I agree with that. With cryptocurrency and comparing that with the stock market, with stocks, you have to have a certain amount of money if you want to buy a single share. Right, stock. right, right. That's another uh, thing too. Good point. And while there are fractional shares, there's the option to pursue that. If you want to trade your shares on the market, then at the very least, you need a full share. And as I'm focusing on cryptocurrency myself, you don't need $40,000 just Not to get all. a single Bitcoin. You can invest <laughs> $20 and that's going to be Absolutely. good enough. It's still going to operate like a fractional share, but unlike a fractional share, you can still trade the value of the Bitcoin for another cryptocurrency coin, even just right. real world cash. And it doesn't really matter if it just looks like that it's been divided. And so I appreciate that about crypto more than I do about the stock market. It's part of why I'm focusing on trying to invest in cryptocurrency instead of the stock market. I mean, it's always good to diversify, but for hell, just diversifying crypto. <laughs> just screw stocks for now, for me anyways. I don't need to go over there. 
and for myself, I'm making like on average $2,000 a month. Right. So I'm a little bit more limited on how I can invest the money I receive. And I just think that cryptocurrency is the best avenue for that going forward. The best vehicle for sure. I didn't realize that currency exchange trading was a thing. It's something that I've thought about in the past of, oh, hey, you can say take 500 Canadian dollars, exchange that into maybe 450 American dollars, and then wait a while, then exchange it back so that you can gain 515 Canadian dollars. So with currency exchange, instead of having to do it physically like that, because there are people who do that where they have two bank accounts, Canadian and USD, and then they just move their money around whenever this gets that just to make money, which is great. But there is a better way to do it, which is using leverage trading with the broker and all that stuff. It's a little more dangerous, but it's quicker. Let's say that. But going back to that quickness, I don't know if quickness is always the best thing, right? Especially for a lot of people. Like it happened to me. I seen quick money and I failed because I wanted to make money real quick based on how fast I seen it coming. Yeah. And unlike you, I don't really see the point in involving myself with that kind of risk. Yeah, it is very risky. Yes, it's risky. So moving on, I mentioned earlier in the episode that you had gotten your girlfriend pregnant that happened last year. How did that moment not just impact yourself as a man, but like how did it impact the way that you view finances? Because before getting your girlfriend pregnant, you could just say, well, I'm making all this money. I'm making it for myself. I might be making it for her. I'm making it to impress her. But now I have to make a lot of money if only to support this family that's now quickly come together. So how did that change your motivations and your thought process for how you wanted to make money? You know what? One thing, I never really felt pressure. I'll be honest with you. And I I pray, I believe that's God's peace on over me. But I never really felt pressure in terms of, oh my God, I have a kid. So now I got to like go crazy. I got to make all this money. Da, 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 da. I never really felt that. Of course, I felt like, yo, I got to make money and, you know, make sure things are good. But not the pressure of like, shoot, things got to like change like rapidly. Da, 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 da. I mean, before Rain was born, I did work really hard. Like I was working about 10 to 12 hours a day just because I wanted to save up some money so that, you know, when Rain is born, I can be home and make sure that, you know, everything is still paid for and I have some money and things like that. So even now, to be honest with you, I'm still not necessarily like crazy stressed. However, there is this thing that has turned in me that I feel like I've been a little more lazy because I've just been working about five hours a day in the last couple of months, really. And I'm realizing that this is not enough if I want to really just go crazy with my goals like get out of debt for number one and then you know save up for an emergency fund and things like that those are things that I'm like you know what I gotta get really serious about meaning that I gotta work more and I love you know having do what I do which is Instacart I can do it at any time and I can do it for however long I want right like I know people who are making literally in a week he made 2400 in one week driving Instacart. Uh, of course, he did about 13 hours a day. But still, you know what I mean? Like, to me, I'm like, even if I did a fraction of that, if I go back to my 10 hours, go back to making at least 1000 or even 1500, depending on how well things are going, that could really help me put me back in a better position. 
But my biggest prayer lately has been, God, I want to do these things. I want to go ham. However, I don't want to sacrifice my family in terms of being with them. Yes, even if I work 10 hours a day, like I said, I want to be able to go home and still enjoy the time that I have with my wife and child. But also even my days off, I want to be there and, you know, really enjoy my time. Okay, two more questions I want to ask. First of all, if you were to give me five pieces of advice based on everything that you've learned about love, life, and finance over the last, say, four or five years of your life, what is the advice that you would give? Hmm, those are tough. Now I got to come up with five solid points. Okay. And, you know, I already know this is going to happen, but when this podcast is done, I'm going to be like, damn, I should have said that. I should have said that instead of that. But right now, what can I think of? Holy Spirit, help me think. Um, love is an action. Love is something that you do. You, you don't feel, I don't want to say you don't feel love, but I want to emphasize that in order for you to love someone or something, it's you, you do things for that person. You know, sharing food is something that you do out of love, right? Even though sometimes I know people hate sharing food or not saying something mean to your husband or wife just because you're upset is love because you're doing something to not hurt that person. Yeah, so love is an action. You do love, right? You do things that show love. You know, in First Corinthians 14, where the definition of love is, says love is kind. You do kind things. Love is gentle. You're gentle with someone, right? So you get what I mean by it's an action. So that's number one. I'll leave that there. I can explain it more, but I think it's self-explanatory. Number two, be patient. Be patient with what you are requiring from yourself. So let's say you are wanting to, I don't know, so come up with some ideas. Nixon, nothing is coming to my mind. But let's say you are trying to... I want to write a book. You want to write a book? Okay, right. You want to write a book. So be patient with yourself in terms of know and believe that this is going to happen for yourself. Know that this is something that, you know, if you believe that this is something God has for you, know that it's coming, right? There's something that I recently talked about. God's promises that he has over your life. So the things he has told you that you're going to receive, the only thing that you need to do to get to that or to receive it is having faith and having patience, right? So faith, in terms of do the things, do the actions for you. You want to write a book. So practice writing, do things that are going to help you. Like look at publishers. I don't know, do things like that, that, you know, it requires to, for you to write a book, but two, have patience, knowing that one, the patience is something that happens over a specific period of time. So that means you have to wait it out for however long that God is going to say, wait for. That's what I would say is just, God's promises require you to have faith and also to require you to have patience. Number three, number three, do your budget, have a budget, track your finances. If you do not know what is happening with your money, if you do not know where your money is going, it is going to tell you where it's been, right? So if you don't track how much money you have spent this week, if you don't tell your money, you know what I want this percentage of my paycheck to go to my debt, this percentage to go to my investing, this to go here, this to go there. Your money is just going to tell you where it went. So you're going to look at your statement at the end of the month and it's going to tell you, oh, I went over here, 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 here. So you don't even know where your money went. 
one thing I learned from a mentor is you cannot win with money if you don't know what the heck is going on with your own money, right? If you don't know how much money for me, for example, I spent on gas this week or, or last month, then I'm being sporadic with my money. So that's that. Any kind of stocks or coins to invest in? (laughs) Sure, I can. I'll throw that one as my number four since you put me on a tight spot. Yeah, coins to invest in um, Cardano. Great, great project. So one thing that there is with Africa, they're trying to change the system in terms of banking because a lot of Africans actually do not have bank accounts, if you didn't know. I think, I forget the percentage, I actually remember hearing it recently, but a lot of people in Africa do not have bank accounts. So a lot of cryptocurrency, including Cardano, those are actually going to be able to help with those to kind of like not have a bank account, but use crypto as essentially your bank account. But also there's something that I was reading recently that they're trying to do with report cards. A lot of kids, they don't really have valid report cards or that maybe they do have valid report cards. But if they're trying to go other places for school, for example, the United States, some schools may not accept their report cards because they think it's fraud. So with crypto, with Cardano, you can track all these things on blockchain and be able to share your school report cards, for example. So essentially, it will make it easier for kids in Africa to be accepted to schools in North America, for example. Right? That's just one of many. And mind you, I am not the crypto expert here. So I'm just only learning a lot of this. Like I really got into crypto December of last year. I was trading Bitcoin when it was still at $6,000 and, you know, my dummy didn't put a lot of money in Bitcoin and now I'm like sitting over here like, damn. So it is what it is. I'm still happy that I was ahead of the curve in terms of I knew and believed in it, but not enough, obviously, to put my money behind it, but that's okay. So Cardano, like I mentioned, um, another one is Bitcoin, of course. Bitcoin is, is, is like gold. It's digital gold, right? Like you want to have some Bitcoin simply because that's the number one cryptocurrency out there. And then also Ethereum. If you want to have Ethereum, Ethereum is an amazing blockchain that is pretty much every blockchain out there is somehow supported by Ethereum, meaning that Ethereum is needed to run some of these blockchains out there. So those are the three coins that I would give you guys. I don't do stocks yet. I'll be honest with you. I have a friend who has told me a couple of stocks to get into, but I never bought into it. And also, you know, going back to you need for a lot of stocks, I don't know, $500 to buy one share. I'm like, I'd rather put that 500 in freaking Ethereum. And fifth point, let's go with something that involves the Holy Spirit. Oh, good one. Yes, I like that one. I like that one. One that involves the Holy Spirit is... Speaking in your heavenly language, so AKA speaking in tongues. This is something that I've never really understood for a long time. I always thought that, you know, it's a churchy thing. Like, what are these people doing? What does speaking in tongues mean? But it wasn't until I really started listening to, I don't know, of course, you know him because I've mentioned him multiple times, but Michael Todd, he had a series on the Holy Spirit where he really broke down who the Holy Spirit is, but really that he is Jesus. He is God. Essentially, when Jesus died, he left himself on earth. He left a, p- a part of himself on earth, but not only on earth, he left it in us, like actively living in us. So having to understand that 
it really broke this paradigm I had with speaking in tongues because I understood that when you're speaking in the spirit, speaking in tongues, which is something, by the way, is an option, is a choice. It's not something I used to think that speaking in tongues is something that just comes upon you as you're walking randomly. Like, you know, you get a zap from God and you're just speaking and yelling. But it wasn't until I really started understanding that it's a choice. You choose how much you speak in tongues. You choose whether you're speaking in tongues all the time. Paul talks about how he speaks in tongues more than anybody. I think it was Second uh, Corinthians 14, possibly. But he was talking about how he speaks in tongues more than anybody. Reason being because you're speaking in your spirit. So you're not focusing in the flesh. You're speaking what your mind cannot even understand, which is crazy because there's many times when I want to pray and I have all these things I'm trying to say and they don't even end up coming out the way I want them. But it's all because I'm trying to talk to God in a certain way. But I learned that speaking in the spirit, I'm literally saying every single thing that my mind is thinking without even knowing it. I don't even know how to go deeper into that, but it's such a powerful thing that has really changed my interaction with God. So if you want to know more about what I just said, go listen to Transformation Church on the Holy Spirit Sermon. Go search it on YouTube. That's it. I could go deeper, but I don't want to ramble. So go do that. I think we're already running out of time as it is. One more question I want to ask. So for many people, what I keep hearing certain people say is that the reason why we have so many people in the world who aren't able to achieve a good standard of living is because they're being oppressed. So like people in Africa, they're being oppressed, whether it's by their governments or it's because people just don't want to lend a helping hand to save their economies. And I think, you know, for yourself, the way that I I see it is that you can look at yourself and you can say to yourself, I am an immigrant from this country that had so much hyperinflation. I, I came to Canada. I had to work my way up from being poor to being moderately affluent. You still have debt. You still have all these other obstacles in your way. You have a family. Do you feel like those obstacles that are in your life, do you feel like they have become hindrances to you achieving your full potential? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If anything, they're there to help me. They're there to help me discover who I am as a person, to help me really learn what God has for me. A lot of the things that God has for us is going to have to go through some turbulence first in order for you to really understand whatever. So for example, finance problems. Why do I have finance problems? To help me be better with my finances, right? For me to be good with my money, I have to have messed up with my money a little bit to know that, okay, I should not do that. I should not do that. Or I should do my budget. I should track my expenses you know, little things like that. So a lot of things that you wear in our lives are actually there to help you grow as a person. But a lot of people, we look at things as this is here to upset me. But most of the times things are in your life, that annoying ass kid that uh, someone might get, right, is there to help you with your patience, for example, right? Like things like that. It's it's just about looking at, it's it's all perspective, literally all perspective. And would you be willing to say that to a guy in Africa who doesn't have a bank account? 
who might not have ownership of the land that he lives on? I would. I would just because even over there, yes, nest opportunities is it might be more difficult for that person, don't get me wrong, to even accept something like that. But I would say those things, especially that's even why it's important to have a relationship with Christ, right? Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, when the Lord is talking about, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, etc. right? I want that person who, you know, is in that tough place. It's good for you to have a relationship with God because through that, you're going to find fulfillment. You're going to find a life of joy, even if you don't have a bank, even if you're struggling to make ends meet, you're still going to have joy. You know, God didn't say we're going to live a life without struggle. We're going to, and other people are going to be blessed more than others. Other people will have what other people don't have. But you can still have a fulfilled life, no matter what your circumstance is, right? Obviously, someone who, if someone's listening to this and they have nothing, you know, they might be safe, easier for you to say, right? But I've had a little one, two money in my account before, you know, and I've seen how it made me happy. But it's actually the times when I don't really have a lot that I actually run to God a little more that's where I actually know that I'm good right now, right? I don't have much, but I feel like I'm good where if I have a lot and I'm not running to God, what's making me feel good is what I have, which is not true fulfillment. Absolutely. Anyways, that's probably everything that I wanted to talk to you about. I want to thank you for choosing me to be your person to come on this call. It was a blast. It made me learn some stuff about myself, but also some stuff about you. And I think you'd be a really great interviewer. (laughs) I think your questions are really good as well. So I pray for the success of this, man. I pray that you just continue this and can stay consistent and find more amazing guests to come on to interview. And yeah, bro, pray for the success of this podcast. Thank you. Anyways, see you guys. This has been Because We're Not the Same, a podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray, with special guest Nixon Mogambate. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.